0: Um, it's good to see everybody this morning. I'm glad y'all are here. We're going to go ahead and kick it into gear. Uh, and I'm thankful, man. I tell you what, I'd rather have the issue of, of having to wait a little bit to make sure everybody gets their food and, than rather having three people show up. So I'm glad y'all are here. And I'm thankful for the opportunity. We're going to look to God's word when we when we consider this, uh, you know, and considering the summer schedule. And I just want to reiterate a couple things. One, it is... It, uh, It is right, I think, and I'm pretty convinced of this, for us to do exactly what we're doing on Wednesday night and give some time during the summer as a break for so many volunteers. Because while we're up here, you know, when we're gathering, there's a lot of stuff happening on campus with our children's ministry and so many things. And if you stop doing children's ministry, then you don't have a place for people to bring their kids when they come to Bible study. It all works together on Wednesday night. Does that make sense to everybody? And so hopefully you can see the the desire then for us was to continue to gather together. So this is the the option for us. We'll get together on a Wednesday morning and we'll pause in going through Genesis. I know some of y'all are really excited about getting back there. Um, And we'll pick that up again when we start Wednesday night. In, in August back, and we'll pick that back up. So what we thought was that we would get together here and just look together at um, a book in the New Testament that would help us, one that we could go through in just a few weeks and kind of look, and one of my favorite books is the book of Colossians, and so we're going to look together at the book of Colossians. I do, as we gather, as, as Jerry said, Pastor Jerry said, I'm so thankful for for uh, Randall, for the kitchen staff, putting it on there. Hopefully, hope I, I do, I can see from this angle here that there is bacon left, because I didn't get any. Um, and so uh, we're hoping that that would be rectified after this is over. Randall, thank you, brother. I saw your hand, amen. Um, and so we're, uh, we're glad for them just making it work, and I'm excited, excited to be able to look to God's word with you guys, and we're gonna do that. As we go to the Lord in prayer, I do want to mention many of you in our church, if not all of you, have been praying for little Henry Glandon. And he did have surgery yesterday, a, a 12-hour surgery. And uh, they're, again, they're on the West Coast, so they're three hours behind. But we did receive word last night that the surgery went well and that the family is able to be with him and, and spend time with him. He'll be in ICU for a couple days as far as we understand he'll have a nurse that's one-on-one just for him through this time but the family uh will be able to be there with him so we want to continue in prayer but we thank god uh for that news all already so let's go to the lord in prayer father we thank you so much for your kindness to allow us to be here this morning you, you're good to us god and if we think about it and how your word tells us that every single day we get up your mercy is new and every single day that we are alive, Father, is because you have uh, given us life. And so, God, if there's anything we should be, that's thankful. So help us, Father, to be thankful this morning. Thankful for the many blessings that you have given us. Thankful for the gift of Christ Jesus, our Savior, who has redeemed us from our sin and called us out of darkness into his light. We thank you for the gift of friendship and fellowship with brothers and sisters in Christ, Father. Being able to partake of food together, to rejoice in, in all the good news and good conversation, to empathize and be with each other even when we share the difficult things in life. But just the opportunity to be together into to fellowship, Father, is a gift. So help us not to take these moments for granted. Help us just to, to celebrate always in thanksgiving father what you have done for us and we thank you for the good report we heard from the other side of the country for little henry god we pray that that would continue that his surgery uh having gone well would continue to show fruit father for him and that the family would be able to be with him minister to him as he's he's there god and just we thank you for doctors we thank you for the gift of of medicine and research father that you through your uh, grace have given to us as as a people to be able to do things just like this and so god we just pray that through all of this you would be glorified and you would be honored and you would continue to work thank you now for your word as we look to it together in jesus name we pray amen all right i want us to if you will turn to the book of colossians a little book there it's one of paul's letters as you can see in colossians 1 that's where it begins if you have a letter or as we sometimes refer to them an epistle you have one of these in the new testament they always reflect the era that they are in so this letter looks a little different than how we do letters in fact Many of you in this room sent letters in your life, but letters even today look different than how we did letters 15 years ago or even 20 years ago. Now it's through emails and text messages and other things like that. So always in different eras, letters may look different. And so in this era of the New Testament, when a letter was sent, the one who was writing it would always begin by giving his Or her name first and so you don't end it with the with the name you begin it with the name and that's how we see the book of Colossians beginning with Paul and Paul is writing here to some as he says uh, the saints and faithful brothers in Colossae and so Colossae at the time if you want to understand is it's not a modern city we we kind of know where it was it's not been excavated at all even but we know the area that it was in it's in modern day turkey asia minor as we talked about in fact colossi sits as a little town among all of those uh cities that we find in the book of Revelation whenever Jesus writes his letters to the churches from Theatra, Laodicea, all of these Smyrna, all of these, Colossae sits in there amongst those. It's about 10 miles from Laodicea, right on the Lycus River, about uh, six miles from a large city center, Hierapolis that we see in the New Testament, all right in there in Asia Minor. These are the areas... Or this is the area that the Apostle Paul went to on his first missionary journey as he goes through and proclaims the gospel in there. Now, Paul wrote 13 letters that we have in our New Testament. Understand how these letters are given to us. We begin them, if you look back, the first one given is Romans. And that's the first of Paul's letters, comes right after Acts. And then you go through 1st and 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. You go through this list. Now, they're organized for us. They're organized for us not by the date in which Paul wrote them. They're organized in the New Testament by a simple simple method um, that may not seem so uh, revolutionary, but it's a simple method. They go from longest to shortest. That's pretty much it, Romans being the longest Then 1 Corinthians coming in. Now, if you have 1 Corinthians, you're always going to put 2 Corinthians right behind it, right? So you go from Romans to 1 Corinthians, Galatians, all the way down to the shortest of these, which is Philemon. Colossians sits there in the middle, not because of that's the order in which it was written, but because that's about the length that it is. And so Colossians is sitting here. Written at the same time as we think some other uh, epistles. Mainly because Colossians is one of what we call the prison epistles. Which means that Paul wrote this uh, letter while he was in prison. Now there are four prison epistles. And there's an easy way to, uh, to remember these. Although it's not, uh, it's not my preferred way. I would prefer if you could remember them just by saying the word Coke, and then you could come up with an acrostic with Coke. Instead, it's Pepsi. My point is I'm a Coke man is what I'm saying. <laughs> but but if you think Pepsi, then you can remember the prison epistles, Philippians, Ephesians, Philemon, and Colossians, right? So Pepsi, easy. These are the ones that he wrote while he was in prison. And we, we can see this passage... Uh, Paul would say this even here as we read in his letter where he talks about his fellow prisoners in chapter 4 verse 10. He talks about the fact that he is in chains, in bondage here in this letter. And so it goes along with the other prison epistles. So Paul is writing it like he did Philippians. He's writing it from prison, sending out to the Colossians assuming in some ways that Paul was a busy man. He was working to advance the gospel. He was speaking. When you go into prison, it takes away some of those opportunities. And so he's writing letters now to do the same thing he would be doing if he was able to visit them or to spend time with them. And so he's writing this letter to the Colossians here in in Asia Minor, a church that had begun there in Colossae, on occasion of the fact that he has heard about them He has heard about them, and he wants to to, uh, build them up, if you will, edify them, and encourage them. Now, when I say he's heard about them, this letter, unlike many of the other letters for the Apostle Paul, he's writing to a church and to a people he has never met. He's never been there. In fact, if you look, what you would think here is Paul's strategy in his missionary service is to go to the large city centers, right? You go to the large cities, you preach the gospel there, and then from there it goes out from those that hear. So you go to the places of most impact. Colossae was a small little town by all all things that we know, a small little place that was off the beaten path, not on the main road, a small little village, if you will, in Asia Minor. So Paul had not been to Colossae. But what we find out is that one of Paul's disciples, one that he had led to the Lord and discipled and raised up, we see those Uh, usually at the end of these letters, Paul will mention all of the people that are with him. One of those, having heard Paul, having uh, been taught by Paul, knows that the gospel's got to go. So his name is down in verse 8, Epaphras. Epaphras, one of Paul's disciples, had heard the message Paul proclaimed, been raised up and discipled by Paul, and he goes to Colossae. He proclaims the message, and he raises up a church there, plants a church there in Colossae. And so Paul has heard what Epaphras has done. He's heard about the Colossian believers. He's heard about the church there. He's writing to a people that he has not met, but he has heard about. That's important as we look here in chapter 1 to understand what Paul is saying. And Paul wants to write to them because just like anywhere else in any other city, you're going to have tensions, especially tensions on a new church and new believers. You're going to have tensions that come up. And so what are the tensions here? Like many others, you have the tension that many in this day. And if if you look back, just to kind of give you some context, context, in Acts chapter 15, Um, And just a simple verse. If you don't want to turn there, that's fine. But in Acts chapter 15, uh, verse uh, 21. Acts 15, verse 21. When it's talking about this, Paul's general method... Which most likely was a general method. When you go into a place, a town, you would go in and you would find the synagogue in that town. It's where you would go, those who were practicing Judaism and or were Judish. Jewish Jew, not Judish. That's a different group of people. <laughs> Jewish. For from the ancient generations, verse 21 says, from the ancient generations, Moses has had in every city those who proclaim him, for he is read every Sabbath in the synagogues. And so in every city, it seems like as it's saying, there are some who are practicing Judaism who were Jewish, who were reading Moses, the first five books, and he's had them in every city. So the Jews had spread out then, and they were in each city. It's safe to assume, I believe for us, that especially after reading Colossians, that always one of the fears for those who had practiced, or the Gentiles, uh, we see this in Acts 15 and other places, the Gentiles who had come to faith, that they would come into faith, that they would hear Moses proclaimed in red, and they would move from trusting in Jesus to going and practicing full Judaism, right? And so you see in Galatians where Paul says, that's not what you are to do. And you see even the tension here in Colossians where he's calling them not to become, he says, don't believe every Sabbath day. Rule or every one of these, Paul makes this point, but it's not just that. When you have it there in 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 um, modern day or uh, ancient day Asia, you also have the influence of pagan culture and pagan religion. And so you see both of those things Paul is pointing them against. He's pointing them away from being Judaizers and just uh, uh, going in and becoming full-blown practicers of Judaism as it is known. And he's pointing them away from the pull of meshing together Christianity and pagan culture or pagan religion. And so ultimately, the theme of this He's, he's calling these Colossians to see the preeminence of Christ. Jesus is above all else. Jesus is above all else. And so he says there in verse eight, 18 of chapter 1, that's what the call is. He is the head of the body of the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. And so away from just becoming... Um, Judaizers where you don't look to Christ the Jews had rejected Jesus as the Savior and the Messiah away from that away from pagan culture where you're just mixing all kind of God's religion and practices he's calling them away from both of those things to say Jesus is everything he is preeminent so he's calling them to look to Christ And if you have a theme verse, I think in Colossians, if you have a theme verse, it's there in Colossians chapter 2, verse 6. In reality, Colossians 1 1 through 2 5 is basically the introduction of the book. So half the book is introduction, but Paul is making a point. He's pulling it out and is basically introducing it. And you have to get the full force of that introduction to understand in verse 6 of chapter 2, and he says, Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus from Epaphras, you received him as Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, established in the faith just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. That, I believe, is the theme verse, the main verse of what Colossians is about. What Paul is trying to encourage the Colossians to do. Grow to maturity in the faith in Christ Jesus and be thankful. That's what he's calling them to do. And so if you read chapter 1 and a little bit of chapter 2 in that light, if you read it in that light, Then you get to, I think, get to understand what Paul's point is. And so quickly, we'll look here at this passage and try to see it in that light. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, he says in verse one, uh, by the will of God and Timothy, my brother. First of all, Paul calls himself an apostle Paul's not coming, apostle of Christ Jesus, is possessive. He's not coming there on his own authority. He's not just simply some guy who's going to give them some good advice in Paul's mind. If you read over in 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, you see Paul's constant battle, if you will, with those who question his position as an apostle. So Paul's coming and he's saying, I'm not just coming to you on my own authority. I'm coming to you as an apostle of Jesus Christ, one who belongs to Jesus Christ and is sent by Jesus Christ, which is simply what an apostle means, one who is sent. Now, I say... An apostle simply means one who is sent. That is true. But we need to understand the office of the apostle here that Paul's claiming is something special in the history of the church. It's something special in the history of the church. This is something unique. In the history of the church, you have certain events that had to take place, right? So you not only, you you have the history of salvation. So you have the Old Testament, the promises of the prophets. You have all these things. You have that set up. Then you have the the virgin birth of Jesus. That happened in history. It only needed to happen how many times? Once. It happened at a point in time, it happened in history. You have the perfect life of Jesus. You have him dying on the cross for our sins. You have him raised from the dead. All of these things happened once, right? They happen one time because this is the history of salvation and redemption that it has come to us. Then you have Acts chapter 2, the establishment, the beginning of the church. And from there, you don't need to have another Pentecost. You've already had the Pentecost, right? So from there, the church begins to spread. And how is the church to spread? But God has called forth these people who were called apostles with the specific task to build the foundation of the church. Paul says this back in Ephesians chapter five, in Ephesians chapter five, where he he talks about this idea that they are the, the apostles, are the foundation of the church, and Jesus Christ is the cornerstone. Jesus is the cornerstone. The apostles are the foundation. So who are the apostles? Or what does it mean to be an apostle? An apostle was someone who had been taught by Jesus, right? they have been taught by Jesus. We know the disciples, sans Judas, he's out, he's replaced. And whenever they replace somebody for Judas there in Acts chapter 1, what is one of the qualifications for the replacement? Matthias they put in the spot, right? Remember? And what did they say? He has been with us from the beginning, right? So he had been with us. He's been a part of us from the beginning. Other than that, we can just kind of draw straws and see which one it is. But that was one of the qualifications that they would go is that he had been with us. He had been taught by Jesus. But not only that, an apostle was someone who not only had been taught by Jesus, but who, has been, who had been commissioned by Jesus. And commissioned, we think of the Great Commission, But not just commissioned by Jesus, commissioned by who? The resurrected Jesus. And so Apostle was someone who had been taught by Jesus and commissioned by Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, to go and tell and spread the good news of Jesus Christ to be the foundation of the church. What I'm saying to you is... There was a certain time in the history of the church that the apostle was necessary and vibrant. And today, every Sunday, hopefully in your life groups, hopefully in the sermon on Sunday morning, this morning what what we're doing here, every single time we gather together and the word is open and we read the New Testament together, what are we doing? We are building ourselves up on the foundation that the apostles have laid. For the New Testament was given to us under the authority of God through the inspiration of the Spirit, by those who are his apostles. So my point is, I do not believe there are modern-day apostles in the same way as is Apostle Paul. They were meant for a certain time, in a certain period, in a certain place to do a certain thing, and they accomplished that task for us in giving us the word. So Paul comes as one who has been called. And Paul's different because he's one untimely appointed, right? As 1 Corinthians 15 says, he was one who persecuted the church. Paul is the one who, who who we are introduced in Acts chapter 7 as he's standing there and they're laying the coats at his feet as they stone Stephen. We are next seeing Paul in Acts chapter 8 as he's going about ravaging the church Acts tells us as he is seeking to put Christians in jail, persecute them, and, and end Christianity having killed Christ. And we want to end this whole thing. Paul is doing all of that. And then, of course, we see Paul on the way to Damascus to do that very thing in Acts chapter 9. But who appears to Paul? The resurrected Jesus appears to him. And Paul, they're blinded by the light that comes as Christ appears. He is commissioned by Jesus himself to be the apostle to the Gentiles. One untimely born. Paul says, that's me. You can read his story. By the will of God, Paul is not, uh, he would never have been an apostle unless God stopped him on the road to Damascus, right? It's not something he conjured up. It's not something he came up with. God has done this. And there alongside Paul is Timothy, his brother, as he says. Timothy, a companion of Paul, a disciple of Paul. One of the things that I think the importance that we see is Timothy's mentioned in several of his books as being with him. One reason for this is oftentimes he's writing to people who may have been in the synagogue or a part of the synagogue. And one of the rules in Judaism, as you were attesting to something, is that you don't believe it by one witness, but by two. Right. And so you have two witnesses. So Paul is coming saying it's me and it's Timothy here. We have two witnesses to this, but not only that. Timothy is a great example of one who was a Gentile who came to faith and now is following after the Lord as preeminent. And so here he's saying, here is Timothy in this way. So Paul also is investing in those after him. He writes to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae. What I love about this is Paul's never met them and he calls them saints. Sainthood is not something that we have to earn, do a couple miracles to do and get voted on to have. Does that make sense to everybody? Sainthood is not that. Paul calls Christian saints over and over again. The word saint simply means called out one or holy one. Paul says you, if you're a child of God and you've been born again, you are a saint. You are a saint, one who has been called out, one who has been set apart, one who is holy. Sainthood, then, is something that we have by position. If we are in Christ, we are holy and set apart for Him. Paul is referring to these people who he's never met. He says, you are holy, set apart, saints, faithful brothers. Faithful brothers, by the way, this is that uh, classic formulation Whenever Paul is writing this, brothers would have been a way to refer to everyone. Probably best understood as brothers and sisters. It wasn't just men that were in Colossae. It would be brothers and sisters. And so Paul is writing to the saints and faithful brothers and sisters, if you will, in Christ at Colossae. I love that. If you read this in the Greek, um, not that I'm a, a Greek scholar, but Greek. Uh, When you do Greek, it it doesn't have the same word order that we do. We have to have subject, verb, predicate. We have to have this. Greek doesn't work that way. It puts importance of things at the front. So what you're trying to emphasize comes first. That could be the direct object. That could be the verb. It could be so many things. What you're trying to emphasize in a sentence will come first. If you read this sentence in Greek, the first thing it says is, in Christ. Right? That's how the sentence starts. You are... In Christ. Paul is making a point that that's the most important thing about you. Positionally, where you are, the most important thing about you is that you are in Christ. The last thing that happens in this sentence to bookend it is it says in Colossae or at Colossae. You are in Christ as faithful brothers, saints, faithful brothers at Colossae. I love that idea because what Paul is saying here is that your rest is in Christ, in in that, so if you're thinking location, the location where you find great rest and peace is in Christ. You are located in Christ, saints. But also, he gives the idea you are located with a purpose and a place. So you are in Christ at Colossae. Not a, it's not by happenstance or chance that you are in Christ, because that's by the will of God. And it's not by happenstance and chance that you're at Colossae because that is where God has placed you to live in his presence and for his glory. So if you think about it, if he's writing a a letter to us here, we are in Christ in Taylors. And both of those statements have a purpose for Paul. You are found in Christ and you are put in that place where you live to live in Christ. Both of those things have a purpose. And so Paul is writing this and he says you are found in Christ and you are at Colossae all with a purpose. All with a purpose. And grace to you and peace from God our Father. Grace and peace, those two glorious gifts that the Lord gives us. The Christian life is all of grace. Growth and and maturity in the Christian life only comes from God. He gives it to us. And peace here is not just talking about Getting up and feeling good and going to bed with a clean conscience. It's not just talking about that, although that's it. It's talking about peace with God, but it's also setting it in that context of all the blessings that belong with being in God's family. So we have peace. We have grace from God and we have peace from God. All the blessings that come to us from being in God's family bring us peace. And so Paul is going to set it up. He's an apostle. By the will of God, he's got Timothy with him to the saints who were in Christ at Colossae, grace and peace. And then he begins his letter. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love that you have for all the saints. Paul, again, has never met these believers. He's never met them. He's only heard about them. And how intimate of a way to start the letter, I think. He could have said, hey, heard you guys, heard about you guys, everything good, you know, that kind of thing. But instead, Paul says, I thank God every time I hear about you. Off the bat, Paul will say, I'm an apostle, I'm one with authority. He could have exercised that authority a celebrity status, if you will. Little old Colossae is not anything, these saints, this little old church over here is not anything powerful, can't get anything to Paul. But Paul begins by saying, I always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus, when we when we think about you, we pray for you every single time. Paul is starting in an intimate way here, wanting to be intimate. No, he's never met them. He says, I thank God for you, and I pray for you. And what does he pray? Think about this. He says, since, verse 4, we heard about your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints. Paul is thanking God for their what? Faith and love. Thanking God for their faith. I thank God for the faith that you have in Christ Jesus. And how is that faith demonstrated? It's demonstrated by their love. Remember, we are not just to be hearers of the word, but doers of the word. And when God, when Paul thinks about these believers and he's heard the reports from Paphras, what has he heard? That they have faith in God and they have love for one another. And Paul says, I thank God for that. And, and really, it's so incredible, I think. We, we tend to make things so complicated, right? It's so incredible that the Christian life is really that simple. That we have faith in Christ Jesus and we love one another, right? And Paul says, that's it. I'm thankful for that. He's going to add something else. But he says, we have faith. You have faith in Christ. You trust Jesus, and you love one another. I'm thankful for all of this, the love that you have for all the saints. Not only do you love those saints in your church, you love the saints in the town next door. You love the saints on the other side of the football stadium. You know they played football back then. This, by the way, was not soccer. (laughs) They played football. It's the Bible. So we... we. You know they had this, right? So Paul is saying, I'm, thank God, just simply because you have faith and you have love. And, and, and remember this, brothers and sisters. It doesn't matter what age you are or where you are. If you're a child of God and you're claiming Christ, you should be known for your faith and for your love. You should just simply be known for that. Not for some knowledge, not for some great act or great work or great thing. That's what I love. Remember when I was making the joke earlier, kind of making the joke, but talking about what a saint is and how, you know, uh, with the Catholic Church or something, you've got to have a couple miracles that can be proven. You've got to have all these other things, and you've got to get voted on by the cardinals to be a saint. Paul says, no, a saint is someone who has faith in Jesus and love for their brothers and sisters. That's it. No vote necessary. Faith in Jesus and love for your brothers and sisters. But he goes on there because in verse 5, I, in my Bible, I circled because, you know, these words are important. We kind of gloss over them, but he says, thankful for your faith and the hope laid up in heaven. We can talk about the hope laid up in heaven right now. Because, he says, faith, love that you have for all the saints because of the hope you have laid up in heaven. Because of the hope you have laid up in heaven. Why do they have faith in Christ and hope for the saints? Because they know this world is not the only thing. They have a greater world waiting for them. They have something better waiting for them. Paul is going to say over and over again lay up your treasures where? In heaven. Why? Because when we have the mindset that our treasures are in heaven, that's where our riches are, that's where our hope is, that's where our glory is, then all the things of the world actually come into proper perspective. Gathering up stuff here and material possessions are meaningless when we know moth and rust will destroy. Our treasures are in heaven. Having quarrels and bickering here on the earth really looks futile and silly when we know our treasure is laid up there, not here. And so Paul is saying, you have faith, you have love, and you have hope. And I thank God for that. I thank God for that. Christians, I want you to know that that's the heart of what it means to be a believer. Have faith, have hope, and have love. Paul says, that's it. That's the heart of who it is. That's the heart of what it means to be a believer. You have all of these things. Then he goes on and he says, and I'll be done here in a second. He goes on and he says, which has come to you as indeed the whole world. It is bearing fruit and increasing as it. uh," Well, I skipped. I skipped the important part because of the hope laid up for you in heaven of this. You have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel which has come to you as indeed the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. Paul says, you have faith and you have hope and you have love. Why? Because you have heard the gospel. The gospel has, takes on this personification here. It's like the gospel is a person. You've, you've heard it, you've met it, you've seen it, you've got it. And so the gospel has this, and then it shifts. The gospel's coming through. It comes to you in Colossae, and it changes you. It makes you a new creation, a new creature. It raises you up. It gives you faith, hope, and love. It transforms you. The gospel transforms you. And not only does it transform you, then he shifts And it's like this personified thing that's working and moving through you. And then it becomes like a plant, he says, where it is seeded down in you and it grows up to bear fruit. The gospel's going forth to the whole world. It has come to you. It has changed you. It has transformed you. It is making you into the image of Christ. It is giving you faith, hope, and love because the gospel has come to you. And now it's seeded down in you and it's going to grow up to bear fruit, and Paul says, I'm thankful. I'm thankful. We never, ever get over the gospel. Never. The gospel is not something you hear once, you respond to, and then you say, all right, good, what's next? The gospel is what we preach to ourselves every single day. I was a sinner who deserved hell, but Christ Jesus came and saved me. And because he saved me, now I'm a new creation in Christ. And all things are are passed away that were old and everything becomes new. And now that's who I am. So every day you wake up, you preach the gospel again to yourself. That I'm a new creation in Christ because of what he has done, not what I have done. Because of what he has done. And that gospel takes root inside of your heart. And it is to grow up and bear fruit. And we know what that fruit is. It is faith, hope, love, joy peace patience kindness it bears all of these things so as the world will know it so as the world will know it as it does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of god in truth The gospel came to you, Colossians. You you weren't even ready for it, right? You were going about your business one day thinking everything was good and everything was all right. And then this dude named Epaphras comes to town and says, listen, I need to tell you something. I need you to know that the Savior of the world has come. We are all lost and undone, dead in our trespasses, but the Savior Jesus Christ has come and He can make us alive together again with Him. They were Minding their own business, thinking everything was good, safe, and happy. And Epaphras comes in and says, no, the truth is that you are desperate for a Redeemer. And that Redeemer has come in Jesus Christ. That's the truth. And that changes everything for you. It changes everything. So Paul says, you've learned that from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant. How will they know unless somebody teaches them? How will they know unless somebody preaches to them, Paul says in Romans 10, right? And so it is Epaphras, who heard Paul say that, I'm sure. Romans 10 is not the only time Paul said, who will go? How will they know unless there's a preacher? I'm sure Paul is teaching these young preacher boys like Timothy over and over again, How will they know? We've got to get to where the gospel has not been proclaimed. The urgency is now. And I'm sure that one day, I'll add just a little bit of Picture to it if you can. If you can see Epaphras. Paul is teaching. He's hearing what what, uh, what uh, Paul is saying. And Epaphras is stirring in his heart. Maybe Colosses his hometown. Maybe he passed through there sometime. Maybe he's he, he, he just knew those people and was familiar with them. But he's stirring it up in his heart. And as Paul proclaims the gospel and says, this is urgent. How will they know unless we tell them? Epaphras gets stirred up and said, I've got to go tell them. I've got to get there. And Paul says, I praise God for our servant Epaphras who did not leave leave you not knowing of the good news of Jesus Christ, but he came to you and you heard it. And now look at your life. It is full of faith. It is full of love. It is full of hope. All of this because the gospel has come and done its work among you. Done its work. And he has made it known to us by the power of his spirit. The Bible is... People always say the Bible never uses the word Trinity, right? So how do we understand it? Just read the Bible. Christ, the Savior of the world, Jesus, God who sent his Son and the Spirit who does his work. It's all even right here in these verses. And Paul is thanking God for them. But what does Paul do when he does that? I thank God for you. Why? Because God has done this. I thank God for you, not because you were smart and you figured it out. I thank God for you because God has not left you in your sin, but he's redeemed you and saved you and given you faith and love and hope. And now he's got a purpose for you. You are the called out ones in Colossae. You are his saints there. And he's given you all of this because the gospel has come to you through our friend Epaphras. I thank God for that. In essence, then, as we come, this should stir all of us up because just put yourself, if you can, in these Colossian shoes. When Paul writes them, we got a letter from Paul. Let's read it. Y'all gather together. Let's read it. And Paul encourages them, I thank God for each one of you. I thank God that he's working in your life. I thank God that you have faith when you before had none. I thank God that you had love that before was qualified. Now it's unconditional because of what Christ has done. I thank God that you have hope before it was lost and undone and whatever you claimed as hope was hopeless. But now you have true hope because it's stored up in heaven for you. I thank God that he has not left you in your sins, but he has brought the gospel to you. So, Taylor's First Baptist, I thank God for you, right? That God has not left us. God has not forgotten us. God has not left us in our sin and left us undone, but God came to us. And it may not have been Epaphras that came to you. Some of y'all are not quite that old. But somebody came to you with the gospel, right? Somebody proclaimed the gospel to you. Somebody told you of the good news that there is a Savior who's redeemed you and can save you. And somebody has told you that and you placed your trust in them. And somebody through that message of the gospel coming into your heart, now God has grown that up to where your life you know has purpose. You are a saint of God put in this place for a purpose. And until the Lord calls you home, that purpose still remains. For the Lord God to be glorified through your heart and life where he's put you, where he's placed you. We praise God for the faith and hope and love that he's given us. We thank God for the gospel that has transformed us. And we thank God that he did not leave us in our sin, but he brought someone, sent someone to us to tell us of our Savior. Paul says, every time I think about that, I thank God. And it should be the case for us. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this morning, and we thank you for your word. God, you're good to us, and we praise you for who you are and what you've done. All of this, we, we give you the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Thank you all so much. We'll pick right, right there, go through that second chapter. We'll get on. It gets even better.